This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. The other day, Heartland Institute President James Taylor was a guest on The Sean Thompson Show on AM560 The Answer in Chicago. James was invited on the program to talk about the lies of the green energy movement, the truth about climate science, and the Supreme Court ruling that the Environmental Protection Agency has been abusing its regulatory power for far too long. Have a listen. In case you haven't figured it out, one of the greatest weapons against your freedom, Americanism in general, is the witchcraft of eco-Nazism called climate change and the green energy movement. It is, in my opinion, promoted on absolute inaccuracies and fraud, as the last 70 years has proven. For 70 years, the eco-Nazis have been making predictions of mayhem and the sky is falling and the seas are rising, yet they all buy seaside estates with the money they swindle from their eco-Nazism. James Taylor is the president of the Heartland Institute, founding director of Heartland's Arthur B. Robinson Center for Climate and Environmental Policies. I wanted to bring him on to discuss how we can combat the lies of the green energy movement. James, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hey, doing okay, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I'm one of these people that if this would have been... Right, I would have been involved, I would have been invested, I would have been promoting. But yet, I've recognized through the span of my life how wrong, how inaccurate, and how fraudulent that these predictions and the data, the so-called science, has been. I remember East Anglia University, the scandal of the emails, where one so-called scientist talking to another about how to lie to get the data they needed. That was enough for me. Where have I gone wrong? Well, you haven't, and I definitely know where you're coming from. I became involved in this issue when back when I was in law school, I was the president of the student chapter of the Federalist Society. We published a newspaper for fellow law students, and I had seen all of the USA Today, CNN, everything about the climate crisis, and I was convinced that, hey, you know, I'm a free market guy. I'm a limited government guy. But if you're destroying the planet, if you're going to absolutely fry it, you have to accept what you have to accept. So I did a deep dive in research, and I had studied atmospheric science as an undergrad. I knew where to go. And the more I looked at it, the more I said, wait a second. This is a bunch of hullabaloo. Yeah, we might be causing a little warming, but it's nothing at all like they're telling you. And uh, so that changed my mind, and, and I still keep an open mind as best I can. But the more time goes by, the more the evidence shows we're not facing a climate crisis at all. In fact, a warmer world is, by almost any measure, a better world for human health and welfare. And it also um, it exists on a, on a fascistic contribution to the scandals that are their so-called solutions. Every single one of their so-called solution is an economic scandal. It's outrageous. It's subsidized by poor people. It's forced capitulation. It's um, built on this idea that through your sacrifice of your own wealth and your own prosperity will come this utopia. And they leave off something that I find to be disgusting. And that is the greatest contributor to their so-called 
conclusion or science, and that is water vapor, which we can never control. It is outrageous. They leave off that data so that when they need to borrow from it to lock us under and to control our, our, our true prosperity and our true progress, they can do it. Why do so few people talk about the actual cooked data in their own fraudulent conclusions? Well, they don't want to talk about the data because the data undermines everything they say. And you're right. Water vapor is far more prevalent in the atmosphere and far more powerful than carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide has a very, very, very small impact on temperature. It's not going to be a dial for whether we have a climate crisis or anything else. And more importantly, uh, the first part of what you were just saying about the Marxist roots of the environmental left, it's no accident that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the first thing she did upon entering Congress was present her resolution for the Green New Deal, which is about 10% stupid environmentalism and 90% Marxism that has nothing to do with the environment. The left uses the environment as a Trojan horse for Marxism because they know that most Americans love to get out in the open country and love clean spaces, and they try to say, well, that's our issue. It's all about putting Marxism in a friendly face. You know, for the vast majority of my life, when I first went into trading and I first went on the mercantile exchange, what I loved about it is that you could fight what was the popular perspective, the popular prediction. You could fight it. You could argue with it. You could find the little data you wanted and you could pick your spots and you could profit from the inaccuracies. The massive inaccuracies in the predictions of the, I call them eco-Nazis. I hope it doesn't offend you, James, but that's what they are to me. The massive inaccuracies, the predictions, the nonsense, and what I believe to be the lie of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is essential for true growth and true eco-prosperity. How in the world did they sell this to a society that you need less of it when I say they're 100% wrong? How are they able to do this? Well, a lot of money is poured into it from some very wealthy folks on the left. They have a compliant, indeed an aggressively uh, favorable media uh, industry there pushing their, their agenda, and kids in schools are not allowed to hear the other side, the real data. You know, it's quite interesting that everything that has been predicted by the environmental left to, to occur on a catastrophic basis by now has not occurred. We were told the Glacier National Park would have no glaciers by the year 2020. In fact, the Park Service put up signs to that effect there over a decade ago, and yet they're still there. They had to take them down. The Himalayas were supposed to be almost done with their ice by now. They're not. Kilimanjaro is supposed to have no ice. They have plenty of snow and ice. The Miami was supposed to be underwater by now. It's doing fine. By every measure, if you look at the actual data, and if any of your listeners want, it, want me to back it up, send me an email, jtaylor at heartland.org. I'll show you the sources. By every measure, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires, floods, you name it, crop production, instead of things getting worse as our climate very modestly warms, things are getting better. If the severe weather events, at worst, are staying about the same. By and large, they're becoming less frequent and severe. At the same time, we're having greater crop production. We have fewer people dying due to temperatures that are not in an optimal range. Many, many more people die from cold than heat. A moderately warming uh, uh, environment will reduce those deaths. By any measure, it's a better world for human health and civilization as our planet modestly warms. As you see the nonsense that's been going on, and I mean this to be exactly what it is. It, it, it's absolute nonsense. And who pays the highest cost are the people who could afford it the least. 
Is it strictly an, a, an objective of control? And is it strictly a, a, a ignorance factor that keeps poor people from the reality of how much better their life would be if they stopped selling the lies of the profiteers of, of hyper-climate agenda? Why do they keep buying it, the poor people? Yeah, well, you hit a good point. If you own a $10 million condo on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, you really don't care what the price of gasoline is. And even if you did have a car and drive it, it wouldn't matter. You could easily afford it. Uh, the environmental left has put on its head what environmentalism really means. When I was growing up, when I was a kid in the 1970s, environmentalism was land conservation. It was open spaces. And nowadays, if you look at the so-called solutions for climate change, wind turbines, you need 300 square miles of wind turbines to replace a single conventional power plant. And those turbines are killing literally millions of birds and bats each and every year in this country. How is that? How is that sold as environmentalism? And the amount what of the oil the left has accomplished, right? The amount of oil and to make them. It's fiberglass. Right. Right. And, and the mining of rare earth minerals about the most destructive practice on earth is necessary for them. They only do it basically in China because that's the only nation where the people will tolerate it because the people don't have a choice. But environmentalism would tell us that there are so many things about wind and solar power that are destructive to the environment. And yet somehow we're to say that the only environmental issue that matters is carbon dioxide, a clear, odorless chemical molecule, not even a chem- well, chemical molecule, natural molecule that has no impact when you breathe it, no impact whatsoever, other than perhaps it might somewhat warm the planet. It's crazy. It's crazy and I don't even know if it does, because it, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's the fundamental pillar of photosynthesis. So if you really want a green world, you need more of that, not less of it. I think they're doing the exact opposite. But here's the good news. We had a major victory, and that is the idea that this executive order created Gestapo bureaucracy can somehow pick and choose who to penalize and who not to, and then is incentivized by keeping 50% of the financial fines to companies just was put in the corner as it should be. And we have an opportunity to really revisit how the EPA has seized so much control over our economy. Shouldn't we be aggressive in, in, in beating this thing into the corner as the, as the tyrannical bureaucracy it is? Absolutely. And now as the American public sees what the consequences are of the radical anti-energy agenda in the Biden administration, that the environmental left has succeeded in imposing on us, the very high gasoline prices, us having to beg Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia for more oil. Um, these are the type of, of, of events that now have the American people understanding that the pie-in-the-sky promises from the wind and solar folks simply cannot, are not coming true. And uh, now we have to make sure that we let our elected officials know, hey, we're not going to stand for this. And I think in November, the message is going to be delivered loud and clear. And we had an excellent Supreme Court decision last week that said to EPA, hey, look, you do not become the god king of anything you say remotely affects the environment, and therefore you have dictatorial powers. You still need to get your authorization through Congress before you can take over those powers. And that was a very good decision from the Supreme Court. James, I'm excited about something. I've been, um, I've had my own philosophies on oil for my whole life. I uh, have recognized that there is so much about Earth we do not know. As we pretend to be so intellectual, I believe that humanity in its totality 
is in its infancy intellectually. Is it possible there are conclusions that we've made as a society, as, as humans, that have been absolutely and totally wrong? I think oil is the greatest example of why we should never think we know everything. After all, we've been wrong for the last 160 years of our predictions. Isn't it true that we should use how wrong we've been as an example? We don't really know. And maybe we should try to focus on knowledge rather than uh, assumptions. Absolutely. When Albert Einstein proposed his theory of relativity, he was bucking the entire scientific consensus. In fact, a hundred scientists, prominent scientists, published an article in a peer-reviewed journal. A hundred scientists opposed to Albert Einstein and basically threw the weight of their quote-unquote consensus against Einstein's theory of relativity. And Einstein's response was, why 100? Only one scientist with data to prove me wrong would be would be sufficient. But ultimately, the theory of excuse me, theory of relativity uh, has prevailed, and it's something that we need to keep in mind. Listen, listen when scientists uh, are investigating a topic, we should pay attention to what scientists discover. And there are many scientists on different sides of an issue, just as there was with the theory of relativity regarding climate change, regarding global warming, regarding whether burning fossil fuels is going to cause a climate crisis. Look at the data, and all of the predictions coming from the environmental left on this topic have proven wrong again and again and again and again and again without exception. Even they acknowledge that the planet's warming at maybe half, not even half, of what they predicted. The very first United Nations report said 0.3 degrees Celsius per decade. It's been less than half of that. And we also know that temperatures were much warmer during most of the period that human civilization has existed. That's, so where was the crisis then? That's the part I want to talk about. We've only been keeping records for 135 fracking years. We live on a planet that is billions of years old. There is so much we do not know, yet we are listening to these profiteers of hyper uh, fear. And that's what we're really combating. And one thing that I've always wanted to know, and I've talked to scientists, I happen to believe that our theory on oil is 100% wrong, or the common theory of humanity or, or, or society as we know it. Can we even quantify how much oil is released through the floors of the oceans? How do you add that up? How can you possibly figure it out? But the one thing we know for sure is it is being released through the floor of the ocean. How do you add it up? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and as you're alluding to, in places where oil has been produced and, and supposedly what they thought depleted, uh, some of the petroleum engineers come back a decade or two later, and there's oil there. How did it get there? Why is there new oil there? But regardless of, of oil and, and how much we have, which is centuries at least, there's also uh, methane hydrates, which is basically frozen methane, frozen natural gas, that is so incredibly abundant, especially along the, uh, the, the continental ridges in the oceans, um, the, the continental shelf, I'm sorry, yeah. um, that we would have enough fuel for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, but we'll probably even have different forms of energy, whether it's nuclear fusion, whether it's whatever it may be. Uh, I mean, 200 years ago, who would predict what we have now? How can we say 200 years from now, when if we still continue uh, rising temperatures at the same pace, we'll still not be as warm as we were uh, during the early part of human civilization? Who's to say what energy sources we'll be using then? Why are we trying to shut down our economy, take away our freedoms for something that would happen at the earliest several centuries from now?
Well, one thing I can say is that due to organizations like yours and men like you, we're going to put a, a fight up against the fascist profiteers of fear. Oh, I like that. Put that on the back of a T-shirt. Oh, man. Oh, man. James Let's Taylor, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the Heartland Institute for everything it does. And you are fighting fascism, and I love it. Please keep it up. And uh, I'm excited to tell you, I have, uh, I have something coming up with Dr. James Corsi who is a proponent of abiotic oil. It is an interesting theory that I actually believe. Uh, it explains so much of the unknown. And I want you to please stay in touch with me and come back on um, because I'd like your thoughts on this as we present. We're going to have a weekly uh, uh, interview with James Corsi and his new book about abiotic oil. I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. We ran out of time, but please come back, will you? Awesome, I will. Thank you, Sean. He is James Taylor, Heartland Institute. Thank you so much. We'll be back with your calls and comments after this.